Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance his kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. How many of you are surviving December? It's just the fourth, so you're okay. Right, But I want to encourage you that as we uh, endeavor to conquer this month, that we would just uh, take, some ti- take some time and slow down. How many of you as a, ch- as a child remember riding in the back seat of your car and looking out the side windows? Every time we look out the side windows of the car, how many of you know everything seems like it's going by so fast? You're looking out and you're seeing post, 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 tree, tree, tree. Road, road, road. Everything goes really fast when you're looking out that side view mirror. And then what we do sometimes, if we will turn our focus forward, we're still moving at the same speed. But how many of you know when we look forward, it looks like we just take it in a lot slower? Right? So our perspective in which we're looking and the direction we're facing directly affects how we feel, what we see, how we're going through it. So I want you to be challenged this December to really look forward, to slow down, to take a break, take in everything around you. Okay, so this morning, before we jump into this message, I want you to practice something. I want you to take a deep breath. I want you to inhale and exhale. Man, that felt pretty good, didn't it? When's the last time you did that? Not after you ran a race, but when you just took a breath on your own free will. Let's do it one more time. Inhale and exhale. That we can just slow down. We can enjoy all of that around us. How many of you, that felt good? You're like, man, I need to practice that a little bit more. We're always in a hurry. We're always in a fast pace. And I want to challenge you to approach the rest of this year with anticipation and excitement, trusting what God wants to do in and through you during this holiday season. I know that during the holiday season, how many of you sometimes have a hard time slowing it down? It's a whirlwind. You got meetings, you got parties, you got celebrations, you got gift shopping, you got dinners, you got all of these things. And we can go through it so quickly that we miss the significance and the beauty of what God intended the Christmas time to be. So we're going to take a few weeks and we're going to look at um, a Christmas series. And today we're going to look at the concept of God is love. Can you say that after me? Say God is love. When I ask you next week, what did I talk about? God is love. That we have to understand that God is love. That's who he is. That's his nature. That is the starting point of everything. When we talk about Christmas or we talk about uh, the Jesus story and we talk about all of these things, all of these came out of God's love for us. We have to understand it's who he is. It's who he's always been. So I love the Christmas season and the intentional focus of when we can put Jesus as the focal point of all of it. I like the the, the lights, the family time, but my my most uh, joy is to cause and encourage our children um, to focus on what the true meaning of Christmas is. Now, you can always test uh, your intentionalness with your children by asking them the, the question, if you're so bold as to, to say, hey, why do we celebrate Christmas? There's been years we have gotten the right response, and there are years that we've gotten the wrong response. Candy, toys, Santa's coming. Well, we've had all of them, right? And so we know based on those answers that we're getting, we want to recalibrate and take a little bit more of an intentional focus on, on the reason for the season. 
and focus on, you know, Jesus and God sending his son. John 1.14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He actually came down. Um, so that, that's going to be one of the concepts that this whole series is wrapped around. We uh, had a great time yesterday, uh, not yesterday, before yesterday in the parade. And our float was wrapped around the idea of love came down. We had the cross elevated and the manger scene was lower and we had light shining down onto the manger scene. And it was wrapped around the focal point of love coming down. Jesus actually taking on humanity and coming to the earth as a man, as God's love, love story and love plan for each of us. But that passage continues to say, we have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us through Jesus. Um, his love actually came down. Um, before I jump into this message, can I give you a quick prophetic word? As I was preparing and praying, I feel like this word God just deposited in my spirit comes from Isaiah 43, 18 through 19. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So for some of you this holiday season, I believe that you are at a new place. You're at a place you have never been. Many of us are so focused on the past, we are robbing ourselves of a great future. We're telling stories of, hey, I remember, I mean, as you get older, the remember when stories, hey, I remember when. God doesn't want us looking back. He doesn't want us being stuck in the past, but he wants us to move forward to, to, to these new great things that God has for us. It will be different. I want you every year to be telling new stories of the goodness of God in your life. I don't want you to say, well, way back when was I was at youth camp. You hear those stories from me because I'm a pastor and I'm trying to relate to you every single week, okay? But there should be new stories every year. Hey, this year, this is what God did. Hey, this month, this is what God did. But I believe he is going to begin to pursue, he's going to begin to release that newness this month. We're not waiting for January for the New Year's resolution. We're not waiting to say, okay, when the new year starts, the new me starts. No, we're talking about right now that God is going to begin to release that newness as you look forward and you leave behind the baggage of the past. That's specific, the baggage of the past. You cannot be defined by what you have been but you need to be defined by who you are and realizing that Jesus has covered all of the things in our past. He is covering the things in our present so that you and I and collectively can pursue those things that he has for our future. Amen. Anybody need that? Go ahead and grab that for you <laughs> this morning. If, if that really applies to you, but I believe that God is going to do something and he's going to do it now. Um, but God loved us so much. God is love. And in turn, the response needs to be that we don't just love God um, because a lot of times it's easy to love God, but he actually challenges us uh, to love others also. Let's look at this passage from 1 John 4, 7 through 13. And this is going to be the framework for the message this morning. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Every, everyone who loves God... Um, has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we, we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we love him and he and that he is in us. He has given us his spirit. Let me share a quick story with you that the title of this story, it's, it's called A Stranger at the Door. I believe that it really just sets the context of this of this uh, message this morning and uh, kind of directs us in that way. Um, so it, sa- it says, uh, it was a snowy Christmas Eve. Inside the warm house, the Christmas tree was cheerfully ablaze with lights and surrounded with dozens of presents. The man's wife and children were dressed and ready to leave for church. Come with us, they urged, for they loved him. Not me, he snapped. I don't believe in all that religious garbage. For many years, the man's wife had been trying to tell him about Jesus Christ and the salvation he offers. How God's son had become a human being in order to show him the way to heaven. Nonsense, the man always said. So the family left for church and the man was all alone in his cozy country home. He glanced out the window at the cold, snowy scene outside. He turned to warm himself by the fire. But as he turned, his eyes caught movement in the snow outside. He looked, cats Three young cats walked slowly past the window. The fools, he thought, they'll freeze for sure. The man put on his hat, his coat, and he opened the door. A blast of wintry air sent a shiver through his body. Come here, cats, he began to shout. Come inside where there's warmth and there's food. You'll die out there. But the cats ran away, frightened by the stranger at the door. He walked outside. Come back. Don't be afraid. I want to save you. But the cats were gone. It was too late. Well, I did everything I could do for them, the man murmured to himself. What more could he have done or what more could I do? I, have to, I would almost have to become a cat myself in order to reach them and to save them. If I became a cat, I could tell them and I could show them. They would have to believe me unless they were fools. Just as he reached the door, the church bells rang in the distance The man paused for a second and listened. Then he went in by the fire, got down on his knees, and he wept. We have to realize the story of Jesus was that, that he took on flesh, and he has come to us in a personal, tangible, real way. And if we do not understand the gift of Jesus, and if he cannot reach us in becoming humanity to us, perhaps... We are just as foolish as this gentleman. But God has done his part. God is love in sending Jesus. He did everything. He pursued us far before we pursued him. He loved us. He pursued us because he wanted us. So we're going to take a minute and we're going to look at the nature of who God is. And what he asked us to do, that first passage in 1 John 4, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Now, I would challenge you this morning that in order to love one another, we have to have the love of God in us. We have to have a relationship with God to love others like God demands us to love them. How many of you have ever had a hard time loving someone? 
Okay, now if you didn't raise your hand, think about that person in your life that has been hard to love or you don't want to love. Right? I'm talking about that kind of person where you're like, Lord, what are you talking about loving them? I don't even like them. Right? Those ones that are hard to love. It says, let us love one another. Now, this is talking in the context of believers. I hope we're loving each other in the church. Um, But I believe where God really challenges us is to love those who are unlovable. Love those who aren't deserving of love. Don't love others just because you want to be loved back. But love them and pursue them because this is the nature of God in us. But without God working in us and being inside of us, we are in short supply of the grace that demands, that that helps us love others like we should. If you're going to love someone in your own strength, you're going to run out. That love tank is going to look like a firework. It's going to start with a blaze of glory and it's going to pop once and be done. Right? So we have to allow the love of God inside of us to come out of us if we're adequately going to love others like God demands and wants us to love others. We will find it hard to love others in our own strength, but we have the grace of God inside of us working through us. And if God has asked us to love each other, he's also given us the grace to, to do it. I've never seen in scripture where God demands or expects something and says, huh, good luck. I haven't given you the grace to do that. But he gives us the grace to do what he asks us and encourages us to do. But we can only truly love one another through knowing God. If you don't know God, you will not love in the capacity that God loves. If you don't know God, you don't truly know true love. How many of you have ever talked to a young person that they've met the person, they've known them for two days, and they're in love? And as an adult, you're like, you don't know nothing about love, right? Uh, we, we know that to be true. Like the older we get, we're like, we were so naive and dumb. We thought we knew what love with, is, but I'm telling you, without God in your heart, you don't know what love is. You don't know the depth of the love. You don't know what love really looks like, what it feels like, what it acts like. But we have to look at God for the framework of what love is. Because if God is love, when I look at God, I know what love looks like. I know what it doesn't look like when I look at the nature of who God is. So love is not a feeling or an emotion, but it is an unwavering choice. I thank God that God chooses me every single day of the week. Where he's not like, well, pastor, I love you today, but I'm not. If you act up tomorrow, I'm going to reduce my love. No, he loves me unconditionally. He loves you unconditionally. So let's look at the Bible because how many of you know the Bible is a great tool for defining, explaining, and a great tool to define what we live by. So when we look at the love or what is love, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, this is like the love passage. You'll see it in weddings. People will quote it. People will talk about it. But love is who Jesus is. Love is who God is. So as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to look at it in a little bit different light because we see it at weddings. We see it communicated in wedding vows. But if God is love, then God is all of these things. So when I'm going to read this to you, I'm going to say it in a little bit different light. Instead of saying love is patient and love is kind, I want you to understand it that God is patient and God is kind. Right? When we understand that God is love and love is God, that we can understand that God responds in this way. So God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking and he is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. Praise God for that. 
because I'd have a heck of a paper trail. Anybody else? But he keeps no record of wrongs. God uh, does not delight in evil, but God rejoices with truth. God always protects, God always trusts, and God always hopes, God always perseveres. And in that verse 8, God never fails. That's who God is. So when we see God in the right light, we know what love looks like. When we know that God is love, we should be, if we're operating in love, if we are loving others, we should be being patient. We should be being kind. And don't just make the excuse, say, well, pastor, you don't understand. No, I understand. And guess what? God understood. So he gave the grace to you to love others well. Because that grace works inside of us. So loving one another is an expectation from God, not just a suggestion. So if there is an expectation, he also enables us to do it. So number one, that commission is to love one another. Number two, we have to understand that love comes from God. Right? God is love. We're to love others, but love also comes from God. Love comes from God because it's woven into the nature of who he is. If you remove love from God, God ceases to exist. You can't take, you can't take love out and say, I still have all that God is. You know, I had a, a young man that was, that was with me a few weeks ago, and he asked me the question. He said, Pastor, do you ever teach on the wrath of God? And it kind of caught me off guard because I was like, um, well, that's not, those are definitely not on your top 10 messages for church success. But, you know, I, I wanted to hear him. I said, what do you mean talking about the wrath of God? He says, well, that, you know, God's going to come back, da, 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 da. And he just kind of began to elaborate. And I, and I paused for a minute and I said, you know what? What I've learned in my time of pastoring is a lot of people already see God as a bad guy. Why would God allow this to happen? We hear it. Well, if God is a good God, why would he? I don't have to convince you that God is a bad guy. Or I don't have to convince others that God is a bad guy. But I do need to convince you that God is a good God. And that he loves others. And that he cares about people. But that love actually comes from him. It's woven into the fabric of his being. It is who he is. It is what he does. So you can't be full of love and not be full of God. The two are going to be combined. When you're full of God, you're going to be full of love. When you're absent of love, you're going to be absent of God. But you can't separate God from love because God is love. Romans 2, 4 in the New Living Translation, it says, Don't you see how wonderful, wonderfully kind, Tolerant and patient, God is with you. Does this mean anything to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? His wonderful, tolerant, patient, his kindness is intended to actually lead us to that place of repentance. With my children, if I am always a hard, cruel father to them, they're not going to run to me when they do wrong. They are going to run away from me when they do wrong. Our perspective that we have of God determines our approach to God. When you mess something up or when you break something, do you hide it under the covers where God can't see it? Or do you take it before Father God and say, Dad, man, I messed this up. I'm sorry. And he looks at you and says, it's okay, son. I remember uh, when I was growing up, one of the most scary moments like in my relationship to my dad, because uh, uh, let me just, just tell you the story. We were loading two by fours in the back of the truck 
And uh, my dad, you know, he, he, he'd get mad occasionally, but rarely, but he was approachable. And I don't feel like that there was this fear, but there wasn't this like, Hey, I'm going to just tell you everything. I was kind of neutral. Okay. Like, so it wasn't one way or the other, but I was getting these two by fours and I was trying to be helpful. And I was throwing these two by fours in the back of the truck, trying to be helpful. Well, let me tell you what, if you throw one a foot and a half too high, it will go through the back window. (laughs) And that's what I did. It punched a hole and the two by four went right through the back window. And I was like, I'm going to see Jesus today had one of those moments of fear and like at first okay you know when you mess something up you go through that train of thought of like can I hide this will he notice you been there there ain't no hiding it he's gonna notice like so my response I had one response and I ran I remember running to my dad said I am so sorry I didn't mean to I will pay for it and I didn't even tell him what I did at that point and he's like well let's go see what you did he looked at it and he walked over and said, well, we can get a new one. It's all right. It happens. And I remember at the end of it, we did the insurance claim. We got a better window. We got a window with a slide window on it. And it turned out to be this really cool thing. But in my pursuit of, of messing something up, I saw God's love through my father. And it taught me something that it didn't matter how bad I messed up. Because let me tell you what, damage was done. <laughs> There was no getting that two by four back. It wasn't even on purpose. Like, it's not like I was like, oh, I'll show my dad. It it was a complete accident. But some of us, when we don't understand the love of God and that God loves us and he cares about us, we will run away from God rather than running to God. And I don't know what your response is, but I believe that if you run away from God rather than to God, you don't understand that he loves you radically, passionately. There's nothing that you can do to mess up so much that he will reject you and turn away from you. He is full of love for you. He is passionately in love with you. It is who he is. It is woven through the fabric. It comes from God to us in a, un, in a way that we don't deserve. He loves us when we do great. He loves us when we mess up. It doesn't really matter to God. He just keeps loving us. But love comes from God. It's sent to us. He's he's kind. He's patient. He's wonderful. God is love to those who know him and have seen him as a loving God. You know, verse 10 of that passage that we broke down, it says, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and hence sent his son. Now, this is challenging for me because God loved us when we didn't love him. Now, my dad knows I love him and he loved me. So like, right. But this passage is saying when we didn't even love God, he pursued us and loved us. Love came to us. Love rescued us. Love came down through the through the vehicle of Jesus to redeem us from all of our sin. Because God loved us that much. The Bible says, while we were still yet sinners, that's when Christ died for us. And that was God's plan, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us, that while we were, while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God sent Jesus to die for you when you were at your worst place. Go back just for a minute. Don't stay there because the devil will mess you up in those, those devil days. But go back for a moment. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's that one thing you don't want nobody to know about. You're like, ooh, look, Tanya's leaving. Took off. Just playing. Hey, we're not streaming. It's all right. 
But it's that one thing we don't want anybody to know about. It's in our worst situation, where you were rejecting God, where you were maybe dabbling and thriving in the sinful lust of this world. He loved you even at that moment. Because we have to understand that God sees us in who we are and what we can become, not necessarily in the place that we're at. Some of you today are in a place that God wants you to grow from. He's not content with you being right where you're at. He wants so much more for your life. You have to realize that. He wants so much more for your life. And some of you maybe are at that place where you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I got another one leaving. I'm just playing, Laura. Love you, girl. Uh, You know, that, that we're content with where we're at, but God wants us to keep tasting sweeter, better things throughout the course of our life. That prophetic word, you don't need to go back and tell stories of the past. You need to be telling stories right now of what God is doing all around you. And then when God asks you to do something hard or he challenges you, you got to trust God in the details. We don't always know why God is asking us to do what we want to do, but we are called to be obedient to that which God calls us to do. If we believe that God loves us, if we love God. Man, I'm jumping these notes. Let me come back. But love comes from God. Jesus was that model. So number one, we should love others. Number two, love comes from God. Number three, love was shown by God. Do you realize God just didn't say he loved you? He showed you he loved you. Now, he showed us in the most radical way. And, and, that, and that's, that's, the, that's the Christmas story. That is sending Jesus. That is the manger. That is God, God sending his son to the, to the world for us. He sent his one and only son. This is the greatest love that you can show someone. The greatest measure of love is to lay down your life. Now, we know that Jesus accomplished this. He was born into the world in a manger. And he left the world on a cross for you and I. John 15, 12 through 14, this is Jesus speaking. It says, this command, this, this command, the, my commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. And it says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So God didn't only say he loved us, he showed us that he loved us by sending Jesus. Uh, many times we equate um, the love of God in the perception of Jesus. Because I think about that, man, well, Jesus had the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus gave his life. I, I want to challenge you just for a moment that there was something at play that was a little bit harder than Jesus just coming. Now, I try to think of the picture. What in the world was it like when God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit were sitting around the table and they were figuring out how to redeem the whole world? And, um, and I'm sure at the same time, because God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, they're all connected, they're all one, and they knew that there was a price that had to be paid, right? And I believe that Jesus immediately knew that he needed to be the one that was going to go. But let me challenge you. Jesus was sent, but think about this just for a minute. It says that the greatest act of love is to lay your life down for your friends. Now, let me tell you what. If it's my kid's life or my life, it's not even a question. You're going to go through me first, right? As a father, if it's, I, will, I will gladly lay down my life for my children. No questions asked so that they might live. Now, pause for that just for a moment. That's pretty radical, Pastor. You would lay your life down for your children. But I think many of us can relate to that. Now, let me take it a a step further because this is what God did to demonstrate, to show his love for you. He didn't just give his life. He gave his son's life for you. Now, talk about personal. 
right? Would I give up my children's life for the sake of all of you? Now, that's a whole level of love on a whole nother level. Willfully, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, my children on behalf of others. That is radical love. Because I think we can understand Jesus, but I really want this more. I want us to understand God. Jesus wasn't the only one that loved us. God loved us. As much as you understand God's love or Jesus's love, God's love is the same. They're all combined, but I want us to focus on those different functions so we understand the depth of the big picture of what he showed us. But he loved us. He modeled it. He showed us what it was. He sent Jesus. He demonstrated it. Jesus would become the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, what that means is it's a sacrifice to take away all of your sins. It is the final required price. In the old days, there was sacrifices. They had to bring animals. They slaughtered them. It was really a horrific um, process every time you sinned. But there was a plan to redeem once and for all, all of the forgiveness of sin. The blood sacrifice that had to be paid through the vehicle of Jesus for you and I. And the cool thing is about the holiday season when we celebrate Jesus being born, this is beginning to release God's master plan to release the greatest gift to all humanity, Jesus. It's powerful. He showed us. He didn't hold anything back. But love comes from God and he showed it to us by sending Jesus. Uh, Number four, love for others shows others we are his. So if we don't have, and let's go all the way back. If we don't have God in us, it will be impossible to love others consistently. You can fake it till you make it, but it's not going to come from the inside out. It's going to come by your mental capacity. And once you lose your mental capacity and you go crazy, you'll, you'll lose it. So it has to come from the inside out. So we understand that love comes from God and love for others shows that we are his. So if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in each of us. John 13, 35, it says, but by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But the opposite is true. If we don't love one another, then truly we possibly are not his disciples. So what if in your life you could not tell people that you were a follower of Jesus or you were not one of his disciples? Would the actions of your life reflect love for others? What do you think? Well, I love them. I just, I just don't know how to act. I mean, what? come on. Is what you're doing communicating love for each other? Well, I'm not a sensitive person, pastor. Well, guess what? God is a sensitive person. If God is inside of you, your nature should be changing to begin to reflect some of those natures of Christ. Well, I'll tell you on the other side, God is not a wimpy God that is not really concerned about certain principles in the Bible. He is a, he is a you know, what does the Bible say? He is the lion and the lamb. He's not just a lamb and he's not just a lion, but those two kind of conflict. He is both. But there are moments where he's gentle and he's peaceful and he's calm. But when something is out of order, like Jesus, he will flip the tables of your life over if there is something contrary to what he expects. So he flipped tables over 
run around with a whip and forced him out of the temple. Well, I thought he was gentle. He is the lion and the lamb. And our lives should be reflecting the same nature as God within us. We should be seeing those things come out of us. But if people looked at your life, would they see love towards each other, towards others that reflect the work of God in your life? So number one, love one another. It's not implied, it's, it's required, it's expected. Number two, love comes from God. Number three, love was shown by God through Jesus. Love others shows that we are his. And then lastly, sometimes this is the hardest one, but it's, it's necessary. L love for God is obedience, right? It's doing what he asks you to do. It's doing what he uh, commands you to do. John 14, 15, it says, if you love me, keep my commands. So if we love God, we will do what? He will do what he says. We'll strive, at least strive to do what he says. You know, um, I've seen many people just like give up. Uh, you know, Becky and I, as we grow and try to mature as Christians, uh, she has this saying, she says, try, try again. If you fail the day, guess what? Thank God tomorrow's tomorrow. And today's under the blood, try, try again. Now, don't expect, like, leading into the day, well, I'm just going to fail tomorrow. Like, don't do that. Learn from what you learned today. Grow and try to do better tomorrow. I believe God's grace is sufficient in every single area of your life to fully fulfill all that God has called you to do. In obedience, he's going to give you the chance and he's going to make it achievable. Will it require work? Yes. Will it require you yielding to the spirit of God inside of you? Absolutely. But his grace is sufficient. But Jesus uh, operated and, and he uh, submitted to full obedience to God in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. This is what happened in Jesus. It says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under heaven. And every tongue um, acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus' obedience was unwavering and confident in who God was and who God is. Going back to looking at the tables of heaven. When God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit decided that that was what was necessary to send Jesus. I think uh, the heart of an unwavering son, Jesus looks at his father. I don't know, but just, th just think about this. Whatever you say, dad, whatever you think is best, I will be obedient, even obedient to death on the cross. Now, now think about that just for a minute because we know the story of Jesus and as he neared that moment of, of, of that horrific moment on the cross, there was a time where he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he had a prayer time with God. He said, God, if it's possible, please take this cup from me. Now, I believe we've all been in that moment in our lives where we wish what we were going through was not the reality. But he doesn't stop there with the attitude of, I'm not going to do it. The struggle's real. The challenge is real in being obedient sometimes. 
But the power is in what Jesus said after that first statement where he responded and said, but not my will, but your will be done. That's all that God wants from us is radical, immediate obedience. Now, God has a a funny way of uh, helping pastors practice what they preach. Talking about this kingdom builders offering, you know, I asked Becky earlier in the week, a few weeks ago, what do we want to give? What do you think we should give? And uh, I told her what I thought a few weeks ago. And then this week I was like, it's getting real. We're getting to the deadline of where we need to give. And uh, she's well, da, 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 da. she responds like we weren't on the same page. And um, in first service well, before first service, I wrote out a check for the dollar amount that we decided to give. And I didn't know <laughs> Becky had already given online. So I accidentally almost double gave, which that's fine. But let me tell you what happened during worship. So during worship, I thought about that check I had already written. I knew that Becky had already given online. And uh, man, I just felt in my spirit, like God said, give both. I'll tell you what, if you chew on something like that too long, you will justify every reason why you shouldn't do it. Well, it's enough, Lord. So you know what I did? Immediately when I felt the Lord say, give both, which means give double. So I don't know what you're planning on giving, but if it's a lot and he says double it, all of a sudden your heart rate and blood pressure goes up, right? But here was my response. I immediately said, hey, I think we need to give double. She says, I agree. So then guess what? Then the rest of the obedience was easy. I didn't hide it. I didn't hold it. I immediately quickly said, yes, Lord. So in our act of obedience, it is trusting that God has been faithful and good in every season of my life. So why would he not be good now? Why would he not be faithful in this moment where maybe my faith is wavering or maybe I settled for what was comfortable and God says, will you trust me with double? (laughs) And as a son acting in obedience, that I can radically say, yes, dad. So with each of you, will you trust in God's love? Will you trust in who you know God to be and who God has been already in your life? If you don't know that God is loving, that God radically loves you, you need to know that today. He sent his son for you. It says that while we were in our mother's womb, he formed and fashioned us. I believe that God knew all of us intimately already before Jesus came. And he wanted to redeem all of us back to himself so that we could walk in fellowship and relationship with him. But it's through Jesus' obedience that we get the gift of salvation through Jesus. And it is through the practice of radical, consistent obedience in our own life that we get to love God in a practical, tangible way. But God gave Jesus so that we could live through him. That verse 9 says that we might live through him. It's the work in us, through us, that allows us to do what God has called us to do. So how do we know that he lives in us and we live in him? It says that he has given us his spirit and his spirit is at work in us. Can you stand up with us? We're wrapping up. So we have to understand that love came down, that God sent Jesus to us as the greatest gift to humanity. That Jesus took on 
fleshly, bodily form to save you and to save me. He knew knew the stupid decisions we would make and predetermined that you and I would be worth it. The greatest gift that you can receive this year, in this moment, at this time, is not found under the Christmas tree. And nothing else will matter without Jesus. So today, Father God, in his greatest attempt to show you that he is love and has proven his love, is that he offers the gift of salvation through Jesus to you and to me. Sent Jesus as a baby who grew to become a sinless man, was brutally crucified on a cross. Blood flowed out, says water spilled out. He was dead and buried, but he didn't stay there. It says the third day that he rose from the grave. And now it says that he sits at the right hand of God. And you know what he's doing? It says he is interceding. He is praying for you and I. He has closed the gap between us and God so that once what was separated can now be united. That's how much he loves you. It says in the Bible, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Today is the day of salvation, Hebrews 3.15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in your rebellion. So maybe there's some of you in the room this morning that God is calling you heavenward. Maybe he is calling you near. Maybe maybe this morning you're like, man, this relationship stuff, what are you talking about? I thought you just come to church and you just tried to be good and that was the extent of it. There's so much more more to it than that. God desires relationship with you. This whole holiday Christmas season doesn't make sense absent of relationship. But I'll tell you what, if relationship is there, man, it causes the holiday time to be super special. So this morning, can everybody close your eyes? No peeking. I see you peeking. I'll throw something at you. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I have never really surrendered my life to God. You know, it's super, super simple. All we have to do is ask, believe, and receive. It's that simple. But if there's anyone in this room that says, I've never really pursued a relationship with God and I want to do that today, can I just get you to lift your hand real quick and put it back down? You've never made that commitment. Okay? Now the other side of the coin. Maybe there's some some sons and some daughters in the room that today is the day that you need to come back. You threw that two by four through the window And you were so scared of what God was going to do that you fled. Where what God really wanted was for you to draw near. We got to own up (laughs) to what we've done. Good thing about confess sin when we confess it. He is faithful and just to remove it. But maybe there's some in the room that today is a coming home. It's a drawing back. If you're here this morning, you say, you know what? 
I've been running. I know God. I've grown up in the church. I have a relationship. But I have separated myself from the Father's house, and I'm ready to come back today. Can I get you to lift your hand up real quick and put your hand down? I see your hand. You can put it back down. Anybody else? How do you know you need to respond? Man, your heart rate's up. Might feel dizzy. God is stirring on the inside. Don't miss what he wants to do. Can I get the prayer team to go ahead and come forward? Now, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And God wants to do something really, really special this morning. Um, I'm going to pray over you. And if you raised your hand, if you didn't raise your hand, if you want special prayer, if you want somebody to agree with you, if you just want, I think it's important to communicate to somebody and say, hey, I don't know the Lord or, hey, I'm coming back to my father's house. It's been a while. And then just allow them to pray and minister to you and just welcome you back in. It's important. But I believe God is going to meet you where you're at, that this holiday season is going to be full of the goodness of God. Uh, let, me, let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for each one here under the sound of my voice. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. God, I thank you that you are love and we are loved. Lord, I thank you that there's nothing that we can do to change your perspective of us. But Father, I pray that if we have distanced ourselves from you, that we would change our position with you. That we would draw near. Lord, I pray that as we go from this place, that you would go with us. God, I ask that you would uh, cause all people Everyone in this room, Father, to come to the knowledge of you. And God, I thank you that you are love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. You guys be blessed. If you want prayer, we got teams available. Uh, you don't need to get in a hurry. Definitely come back this evening for our appreciation banquet. We love you. Be blessed. Next week, uh, special speakers, Marillo and Laura. Uh, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, they'll be sharing next week. Just come back expecting a good, powerful word. We love you guys. Be blessed. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.